I made two posts to the Facebook group about Part 1, Book 3. The first concerned the essential substance of the chapter. At the end of Chapter 2, the sailor, who had vowed to run grave danger and row the old man to safety, declares, I am the brother of the man you ordered shot. And when Chapter 3 opens, this sailor, armed and vengeful, tells the old man to get ready to die. Alone, weaponless, with no means of escape, what is the old man to do? Argue his way out of it. I read this scene the first time in mouth-gaping stupefaction. I imagined the old man slowly rising up in the boat, lording over the peasant, physically, intellectually, morally, cowing him into submission with the sheer force of his words. For this is no ordinary argument. Students of rhetoric should make a careful examination of this old man's powers of persuasion. He is able to take a man who is about to kill him, and convince him that to do so would mean what? That in denying the old man a priest, he is causing his soul to be lost and losing his own that in the struggle of the impious against the priests of regicides against the king of satan against god he is on the side of satan that because vendee will be deprived of its leader hamlets will continue to burn families to weep priests to bleed Brittany to suffer the king to be in prison and jesus christ to be in distress that in one of the most powerful lines I have ever read in any novel. Thanks to him, pagans will go on melting bells to make cannons, and men will be shot with what used to save souls. And thanks to him, the bell that rang for his christening may be killing his mother. The old man takes Hamelow's own values, and he turns him on himself. He persuades him that to continue on his chosen course of action would be to betray everything he himself holds dear. It would be to betray his fellow soldiers, his country, his own mother, his king, and even God. Then he simply shrugs his shoulders and says, It's your affair. And Halmelo, humbled, defeated, and repentant, utterly submits. And with Hamelow at his mercy, he sends him on a mission to spread the message everywhere, rise up in revolt, no quarter. Will the old man's identity remain concealed? What will become of Hamelow? Where is the Red Bonnet Battalion, and what has become of the mother and her three children? Oh, just wait. I also shared with the Facebook group some general principles about how to be an active reader. The first principle was to be active-minded, but not compulsive. It's important to be in focus as you read, to make sure that you have taken in the story and in some way considered its meaning. But that doesn't mean you should grasp the significance of every word, or particularly when reading Hugo, every name that's uttered. If you struggle either with being focused or with being compulsive about understanding every detail, I recommend trying at the end of each page to just capture the essence of that page in a single sentence. Kindles can be really helpful with their easy look-up features, but they can also facilitate compulsiveness. Don't lose the forest for the trees. 
I know that's abstract advice, but my hope is that you will be able to connect it with experience as we move through this novel. The second principle is to make connections, but not drop context. In other words, make connections as they ought to be made, in the context of the whole. I bristle at the typical literature teacher's discussion of themes in novels. Themes often translates as anything that recurs, and they can be the most arbitrary and unhelpful of connections. I recall once cautioning a student of mine against this when I was tutoring her in high school literature. We were reading a play by Shakespeare, and I warned her that the textbook's treatment of the concept of themes would allow a theme of anything. Swimming pools, say, in the play. On the very next page of the play was a metaphor of something like two drowning men trying to hold on to each other. I had no idea that that was coming, but it was perfect. See? Swimming pools. When you're reading, watch for connections, but don't isolate and reify connections in themselves. You'll find out whether they are meaningful connections as you continue and discover whether they can be integrated further. Again, abstract advice, but keep the general point in mind as we apply it to practice. The third principle was analyze characters, but don't mind read. It's important to contemplate a character's words and actions and to interpret their meaning. That's what allows us to arrive at a fundamental understanding of their nature and ultimately of the novel's theme. It's important to do the same in real life though real life doesn't offer us such streamlined essences with the extraneous and the contradictory omitted. Cognitive therapists describe a pattern of distorted thinking called mind-reading. To mind-read is to draw conclusions about someone without much evidence to go on. In fiction, we're given more purposeful and directed evidence to go on, but you still shouldn't jump the gun. In other words, maintain an active mind but take your time in drawing conclusions about a character. If you're interested in pursuing any of these ideas further, you can go join the discussion at the Facebook group.